Whenever you are going through a persecution or a time of grief or a time of hardship, whatever it is, there are five relationships that will quickly get strained. Those five relationships are also the relationships that we're to have every single day. But they, they start to break down in the face of a persecution or a trial or, an har- or a hardship. And those five relationships, if you want to call it, are our relationship with our Lord. We understand that. Maybe we don't understand what that relationship should be, but we at least understand that as a, as a created being, we are bound to have a relationship with God, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, or the relationship with the government. Put yourselves in the situation of the, of the Christians to whom Peter is writing in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Really, the whole book of 1 Peter. You are going through a systematic persecution by those who are in charge. Maybe it's not the Roman persecution yet. But it's the Jewish persecution. And so now you've had to leave family and friends and jobs. And you can't go to the market anymore without people looking at you. You can't go to Walmart. You can't go to the gym. You can't go anywhere without people looking at you and saying, do you know what he is? He's one of those Christians. Or, worse, you're scared for your life because people do know you're a Christian. And if you go to Walmart, if you go to the market, if you go to the gym, or you go outside of your home, you are at risk of being put to death, being stoned, simply for following your Lord. Do you think that would strain your relationship as a Christian with your government? Absolutely. Absolutely. How many people have left the faith because something happens And they say, why did God do this to me? And instead of going to the scriptures, like we looked at a few weeks ago, for the answer, instead of going to God and asking him what in the world happened, like when Job goes through his persecution, his wrongdoings, his his trials of his faith, he turns to God and said, what in the world happened, God? Instead of asking God for the answers, they ask other people for the answers, like Charles Darwin or like Richard Dawkins or some other person who supposedly has the answer and their answer is, well, it does, just doesn't matter. And so they leave the faith because this wrongdoing or this hardship has caused them to question their relationship with God. What about the relationship with the world? I don't want to have friends outside the church because I'm scared that they may persecute me. Now, keep in mind that persecution is not what we encounter in America today. Even those people, God forbid, who who give their lives at a worship service like we saw a few weeks ago, in Nashville, even those people, even the people who die because they're there, aren't going through the same type of persecution that these Christians were going through. But us, for the most part, do not go through anything close to persecution. We'll say, you know, someone unfriended me on Facebook, and that's persecution. No, it's not. Someone 
said that I'm weird because I go to church on Sunday. That's not persecution. We'll see that next week. But your relationship with the world may become strained because of quote-unquote persecution. Well, your relationship with the church, of course, that can change because of persecutions, because of hardships. How many people have left the church because Christians just weren't there to help them when they needed help? That should say something to you and I who are sitting in the pews this morning. That you need to get out. That we need to get out and help other people. Because our influence on their lives just might be what keeps their faith intact in a hardship. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, he talks about the relationship that is the core of all relationships. The one that no one knows about, marriage. You know, you don't know how Rebecca and I act when you're not around. You don't know the, the, the horrible things she puts me through. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't know the jokes that we play on each other. You don't know the wise cracks. Listen, you think I can crack jokes? You be around Rebecca when no one's around. She can crack the, the best jokes that you've ever heard. She lays into me when I do something weird or I do something strange. She lays into me just better than anybody else can. You don't see that. You don't see the fun that we have. You also don't see, you also don't see the hardships that we have. And we don't see your hardships. Because marriage is the relationship that is the most secret. But it's also the foundation of all the others. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is going to deal with the relationship of marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 and 9, Paul said that given the persecution that he knew was coming and that had already arrived, he wished that no one would become married. Because he knew how hard hardships can be on your marriage. He knew how hard grief and persecutions can be on your marriage. And so he says, I wish that everyone was like me, weren't married. But what happens if because of the natural desires that God has placed within us, you can't do that and still get to heaven? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. If you can't handle it, don't allow your faith to be corrupted because you're trying to live a standard of no marriage that your physical desires will not allow you to have. If you know that you're going to give up your faith for your physical desires, get married. And have those relationships, have that relationship of a husband and a wife inside the marriage bond so that you do not give your faith up because of it. Even more so, here's a question. In the face of persecution, what do we what do you do if your spouse is not a Christian? Listen, I want to say before we before we really dive into this study this morning that just because your spouse is a Christian does not mean that you cannot learn anything from what we're about to study. But I will go ahead and say that Today we're going to talk about, today we're going to study, what do I do if my spouse is not a believer? 
if your spouse is a believer, take everything we're going to talk about this morning and ask this question. How can I help my spouse get to heaven? That's what we try to train young boys and young girls to look for in a boyfriend or a girlfriend, someone that you're going to marry, someone that's going to help you get to heaven. So if your spouse is a Christian and is a faithful Christian, maybe your spouse is the more faithful Christian of the, of the two of you, as if faithfulness were a sliding scale. But nonetheless, look at it as if, how can I help my spouse, my husband, my wife get to heaven? And if your spouse, your husband, or your wife is not a Christian, take this text for exactly what Peter said. Here is how you convert a lost spouse. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that, every, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be as the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in which, God, in, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adore, adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, he breaks it into two. Now, yes, he's going to talk more to the wives than to the husbands. That's because in that time period, if you look at Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16, when Ruth looks at Naomi after her husband has passed away and she says the customary thing that a wife would say to a husband, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Where you die, I'll die. And most importantly, your God will be my God. And your people will be my people. You see, in that time period, a wife was customarily going to take the, the religion, the belief system of her husband. But notice this. Number one, wives, if you, wanna, if you want to convert your husband to Christ, don't follow the customs. Wives, your relationship with God is more important than your relationship with your husband. Period. Husbands, your relationship with God is more important than your relationship with your wife. Period. And he says, number one, wives, if you want to convert your husbands, here's what you do. Be a servant leader. You can't step out in front of them and tell them what to do. Because in that time period, and much the same in our time period, and in our custom, husbands were seen and are seen as the leaders. At least they should be today. And a wife was not to speak out in that manner. And so Peter says, here's how you convert them. 
Here's how you convert. You show them what Christ is to the church by you being a wife to your husband. Ephesians chapter 5. The, the, the Christ, the Messiah, is the husband of the church. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You see, wives, if you want to convert your spouses, if you want to convert your husbands, number one, show them how the church relates to Christ simply by being the church in your relationship. Lead them to Christ even if they won't listen to what you have to say. Because no matter how many times you try to teach them and they don't listen, they're still paying attention to what you do. They're still paying attention to what you do. That's number one. Be a servant leader. Don't try to overbearingly step out in front and say, here's what our family's going to do. That's never going to work. Your husbands, ladies, are going to push back against that in every single case. I understand that it's not politically correct, but that's how God built us. Husbands push back against wives saying, this is how our family is going to work. And so what you need to do, number one, is to live like the church in your relationship. But how do you do that? Well, here's how you do it. Number two, you need to look at beauty the way that God intended beauty to be held. Do not let your, verse number three, 1 Peter chapter three, verse three, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is, which in God's sight is very precious. Number two. Number one, if you want to convert your spouse, ladies, live like the church does to Christ in your relationship. And how do you do that? Look for beauty the way that God intended and not the way that man has intended. Let's be honest, men. When we look for a wife, there are a few things that we look for. Will she help me get to heaven? That should be all of our number one priority. Is she nice? Is she someone that I can take home to mom? We'll talk about that here in just a second. Number three. Is she attractive? When I was going to preaching school, I I decided that I was going to go to preaching school And so I decided I should probably start looking for a wife. Maybe it happens before I go to preaching school. Maybe it doesn't happen before I go to preaching school. But nonetheless, I should start looking for this because a minister needs a wife, a preacher needs a wife, and also because, well, I wanted a wife. So I started looking. I said I wasn't going to date anyone who didn't fit the bill, who, who I thought wasn't going to be that person. And then along came a young lady named Rebecca, who was sweet, who was nice, who was caring, who laughed at my jokes. But also, let's be honest, she was pretty cute. And so I was interested. You see, our, our world has put that at the, as the number one thing. It can't be the number one thing. It has to be secondary or even 
tertiary, third in the lineup. But what Peter says is, ladies, you need to be a beautiful woman. That doesn't now in their time period, if you put on gold or you put you braided your hair, it meant you had money. Well, there were there were two options. If you go to the if you go to the market and you see a woman who has braided hair and gold in her uh, ears and, and jewelry on, well then there's two options. Either she's rich, which means she wouldn't be at the market because she would have someone else go to the market for her. Or number two, she has earned money in uh, the, the oldest profession, if you get my drift. She's prolific in her profession. Let's put it that way. And so if a woman had braided hair and gold, it meant that she was well off. And the reason she was well off is because she had worked her way to that point. And the way she had worked her way to that point was through lustful activities. And so what Peter is saying is not, ladies, you can't look nice. Ladies, you can't focus on being attractive to your husbands. What he's saying is, pay attention that you are classy women. That you are women that people are proud to say that they know. Ladies, if you want to convert your husbands, you have to live like Christ and the church. You have to be the church in your relationship. Sad to say that I I think at times Jesus may be somewhat embarrassed by the actions of the church. Don't let your husbands be embarrassed. Be a classy woman. Be a woman who understands beauty, knows where beauty is held in the eyes of God, and knows that the most important kind of beauty is inward beauty. Be the woman that he's proud to say, that is my wife. That's my wife. I have a friend of mine. I've known his wife for as long as I've known him. Uh, I, well, no, I guess, I guess I knew him just before they got married, and I, I met her after they got married. But nonetheless, every single time that he talks about Amy, he says, my wife. Josh, I've, I've, I've known Amy just about as long as I've known you. Why do you keep saying my wife? You know why? Because he's proud that she is his wife. Be that kind of wife, ladies. Be that kind of wife. Number one, you need to lead them to Christ as a servant leader. Meaning, maybe they won't listen to what you have to say, but still live it out. How do you do that? Number two, you focus on godly beauty. Number three, respect him. Verse number five, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So, Here's how you do it. You want to convert your husbands? Ladies, just call them Lord. No. That's not, that's not, that's missing the point of what Peter is saying. You remember in Acts chapter 9, when Paul is on the road to Damascus, and he sees a light and he is struck blind, and he hears something, but he can't understand what is being said, and so he 
He says, who are you, Lord? After Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. You know what you should be doing. It's my belief, it's my opinion that Paul knew. He had an inward, an inward driving force that he knew that something was going on. He knew that, man, Jesus is making some sense. He's making a lot of sense. Maybe he is right, but I don't know yet. And he was doing what he thought was best. And he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against what you already know. It's hard for you to fight against what you know is true. And he says, who are you, Lord? That wasn't Paul acknowledging Jesus as the Lord, as the, as the Kyrios, as the Christos, as the, the Messiah. That's not what he was doing. It's almost as if I were to say this. Um, Sir, what's your name again? I'm sorry. Sir. That's what Paul uses it as. And that's what Peter is using it as. You don't have to call them Lord. What he's saying is, have respect for them. We teach our children that if you want to have respect for somebody, you say what? Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. And no man. And you may hear Rebecca and I even using those words. Because we're trying, we're, we're not perfect, but we're trying to live up to 1 Peter chapter 3 and help each other get to heaven. You see, he's saying that you need to be respectful. You can be the most beautiful woman in the world, ladies. But aside from your physical beauty and aside from your cooking, the number one thing, the number one thing that a man is going to be sparked to listen to what you have to say is you being respectful to him. If you want to convert your spouses, ladies, live like Christ and the church. Be the church in your relationship. Number two, focus on godly beauty. Don't spend so much time focusing on the outside. Focus on the inside. Number three, respect him. Show him respect. Because that's what the church does with Christ. Show him respect. Listen to what he has to say. Let him lead your family. Yeah, he may not make all the right decisions yet. But let him lead your family. That doesn't mean that you do what he says instead of what Jesus says. That's not what I'm saying. But a lot of times, ladies whose husbands are not members of the church will think, well, they're not a Christian, so they don't know what they're talking about. And the respect in the marriage is dissolved. Don't let that happen in your marriage. Now, fellas, it's our turn to learn something. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, in the qualifications of a faithful Christian man, I know we call them the qualifications of an elder, but that's, that's focusing it down too, 
too narrow. In the qualifications of a faithful Christian man, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, it says that men, it is our responsibilities to be able, willing, and knowledgeable to teach. Ladies, if you want to convert your husbands, here's how you do it. You live your lives so that they can see Christ living in you. and So that they can see how the church feels about its Christ. Men, if you want to convert your wives, you need to do what you are commanded to do, what you are called to do, what is your God-given obligation. And that is teach them. Well, Colossians says that we should season our our language, our speech with grace, knowing how to answer every man and, and woman. And so that may be different at times. That's why Peter says, live with them in an understanding way. Know what they need. Know that maybe being a little more blunt about the gospel is what my wife needs. Maybe my wife needs me to take a, a slower approach. Maybe my wife just needs to see me being a Christian. But you and I both know men who are in that position. It's few, but it's there. Who have been married for years and years and years and years. And have said, well, I'm just trying to live like a Christian to them. Well, that's good. But you see, Peter and God, mind you, said that that's not enough for a husband to convert his spouse. Husbands, if you, if you want to convert your spouse, you're going to have to man up and be a godly man and teach them. Know what they need. Know how they need to be taught. And teach them. Because how can we expect God to keep up his end of the bargain if we're not willing to do what he asked us to do? That's the end of that verse. That your prayers may not be hindered. We ask God for help because we lost our job. We ask God because uh, we help for a persecution. We ask God for help for hardships, whatever it is. How can we expect God to answer that prayer in a positive way when we're not willing to keep up our end of the bargain? When we shirk our responsibilities to be the man and teach our family the gospel. How can we expect how can, how can we expect him to do it if we're not willing to do it? You see, the fact of the matter is that the relationship of the husband and the wife is the most important earthly relationship that God has ever granted us with. And in the, in, in the midst of tremendous stress and hardships and even trials of your faith, questioning your faith, spouses have to stick together. And we can't stick together if we're not on the same side and on the same page. And so it's time that we, as Christians, work in godly ways to convert our spouses. Husbands, that means you're going to have to know what they need and teach them. Wives, it means that you're going to have to teach them in a slightly different way. By living faithfully, encouraging them, respecting them, and helping them. It's what you were created for, ladies. To help your husbands. Why, Husbands, you were created to lead people to Jesus Christ. And it's time we do it. If you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you.
That's a time where you can step up for your God-given obligation or your God-given responsibility to start walking after him. Maybe your spouse has led you to the point where you're ready to make that decision. Maybe not. Whatever it is. If you're ready to become a Christian and be baptized for the remission of your sins, we're ready to help you with it. The beauty of the gospel is that you can't do it alone. And if you're ready to obey the gospel this morning, we're going to help you with that. If you need prayers of encouragement, you need prayers because you're trying to convert your spouse and you just don't know where to go from here. Maybe you just need help. Maybe you need to repent of sins publicly. Whatever it is, we're going to stand. Jim is going to lead us in a song of invitation. And when we do that, we ask you to come down so that we can talk. Thank you very much.